This is Ron Thurston, the best-selling author of Retail Pride, and today I am live in Palo Alto, California, with Jill Grande, a senior director with Tiffany. Welcome to Retail in America. This podcast is part of the Retail in America tour, my year-long journey to discover incredible retail heroes all across the country celebrating our retail culture, community, and careers. Go to RetailPride.com or on Instagram at RetailPride to see it all, including past podcast episodes, playlists, future cities on the tour, and more. I'm very excited to have this conversation with Jill Grande today, but before we get started, I want to thank the three important title sponsors for the Retail in America tour and this podcast. Spotify Advertising. Spotify has grown to over 420 million monthly unique registered users around the globe, over half of which are supported on the ad platform. Spotify Advertising will help you reach and target your audience across devices, locations, and formats. Ubic. Over 300 companies in 80 countries trust Ubic to drive their retail performance at scale and get real-time visibility into multi-location business execution, digitized task management, and consistent digital mobile learning for their teams. And KWI. KWI is the industry's only true turnkey omni-channel platform for specialty retailers. With over 35 years of experience, let KWI help you execute flawlessly with the features that matter most, including endless aisle, clienteling, mobile checkout, inventory management, e-commerce, and more. The links to learn all about all three of these great brands will be in the show notes and at retailpride.com. And with that, let's get started with the show. So hi, Jill. Welcome to Retail in America. Hi. Uh, I'm so <laughs> glad that you're here. So we are in the Airstream together. Yes. Um, and we haven't seen each other for a number of years. Yeah. We've spoken on the phone often many times, <laughs> and we we're always stay connected because you and I have a long story together, yeah. which we'll share. But we're here in the Airstream in Palo Alto, California, not far from Valley Fair Mall, where yes. it all began for the two of us. Yeah. Um, 12 years ago, I did the math. So we have <laughs> known each other for 12 years. Wow. You have had an incredibly successful career, which we're going to hear more about. Um, but welcome. Thank welcome. you. I'm really glad that you're here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So before we kick off about you, because this is Retail in America, yeah. I want to learn more about San Jose, Palo Alto. You're from this area. You grew up in this area. Other than I think the time I moved you to LA, your whole career has been here. Yes. So how do you describe retail in the Bay Area? I would describe it as quiet sleeper to a lot of companies. I mm. think that in my past, working with companies, especially luxury companies, they don't fully understand Silicon Valley. It has obviously massive wealth. They spend their money very differently and they can spend it really however they want, but ultimately it's about the experience that they get in store. Mm -hmm. And so looking at luxury, I think the best experiences that you can offer to employees is having the best product that can be there. And I think too, it's continuing to grow. We're watching some of the smaller companies that we in the fashion industry know, and they're now just popping up here in Palo Alto, San Jose, San Francisco. And you're watching, I think it changed from being big box 
mm-hmm. you know, department stores to having boutiques that are visited and are cool and exciting to go into. And you're building relationships with clients. Yeah. Yeah. It's really changing. How would you describe the kind of retail employee community here? I'm actually going to say it's a little tough in recruiting. Okay. I think most recruiters always contact me for help. Often they'll ask me if I'm interested and when I'm not interested, well, can you actually help us? Cause we have, you know, it's tough. It's a tough recruiting area. I think, you know, again, you're in Silicon Valley. So a lot of people will go into tech or whatnot um, or financial, but it's a small community, but it's becoming bigger and bigger and bigger because it's drawing some of the bigger names. And yeah. I think it's a destination shopping. Like San Francisco is obviously a great area to be in. And when you come down into San Jose, which, you know, Valley Fair is just a massive, it's going to be another South Coast. Yeah. So that's the exciting thing about being here in the Bay Area. You're going to see changes yeah. for sure. So job opportunities, big. Massive. 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 For, for people interested in parts of the country that really have career growth opportunities, this would be one oh, of them. Oh, yeah. yeah. I would suggest anybody that wants growth, especially like in fashion, fashion, luxury, retail, any of those, I would absolutely look at the Bay Area. It's a big opportunity for career growth. Yeah, great. So I want to hear more about your career journey. But before I have you share your side of the story, I'm going to share my experience, how we met, and a little bit about our journey, and I'll let you fill in the blanks. So in 2010, I joined Tory Burch as the West Coast District Manager. I think I was based in LA. And I remember my first visit coming up here to Valley Fair Mall to visit you, first time visiting the store. And I won't forget it because I remember how incredibly passionate and committed and engaged you were and your team. And I remember the visual merchandising and this was 12 years ago, but it's like those moments that we have as leaders when you meet someone and you're like, you're really special. Like there's (laughs) something really unique about this store in this mall, you know, in in a bit of a suburban mall at the time, it's not, it was not the powerhouse that it is today. I think there was just a luxury wing just beginning to expand. And you and I, from there went on to have a very incredible relationship. I moved you to LA. I shouldn't say I moved you. I asked you to move to LA to open the Torre and Rodeo Drive, which was a massive (laughs) undertaking. Huge, huge, huge. multi-level, a VIP floor, a terrace, a huge team. I remember doing the training with you as we hired that team. And you went on to join me at Saint Laurent Mm -hmm. and you helped me problem solve in different stores all over the world. Anytime there was an open role or like a problem or, you know, you have those people that you just lean on of like, hey, Jill, can you fly here? Can you go to this country? Can you do this? Can you solve this problem for me? And you were always my go to, (laughs) to solve whatever needed to be fixed. Uh, And today, it's a joy to see your success at Tiffany, because as a senior director of a very high volume, highly successful, highly important brand today, it's great to see you leading this team. So what did I miss? I know there was Michael Kors before I met you, but fill in the rest of the blanks. Yeah, no, I was joking that I was telling you earlier that joining Tory Burch, I actually presented a business plan in my interview with our VP at the time. And she had said, wow, no one's ever presented me with a business plan. Um, So I went into it. I think I, at the time I was the youngest GM 
that they had. And obviously, what I think what made people may not know 12 years ago, Tory Burch was not who they are today. It was definitely a startup within definitely. the industry of fashion. I didn't necessarily know what I was walking into in that, but it was such an amazing experience being a part of that brand. I mean, yeah, you flew me all over the world. I joke that I would just fly into different places, especially recruiting. I had one opportunity to fly into New Jersey, I think it was, and I had to restaff an entire team and I had like two weeks to do it. And mm -hmm. so truly learning how to really network before you ever hit a ground. I mean, those experiences with, diagnosing opportunities in the businesses, mm -hmm. those long meetings in New York, and even on Rodeo Drive. I mean, I would be at work at 1 a.m. looking at reporting, sitting there with my yeah. partner in crime, Sherry, mm -hmm. but really sitting there looking at business. I was in love with really doing that and kind yeah. of leading those big businesses. Yeah, it was a special moment in time, those kind of flag openings. Oh, yeah. When brands have those powerful moments in their career history or their brand history, I should say. It's a really important moment. And so you were, you played a very important role for Tory Burch to, to make yeah. that happen. Well, I, I did get to meet Jay-Z and Beyonce at the opening of Madison Avenue. I was oh, Maybe also a career highlight. Yes. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Speeches. That was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing to do that. Tell us a little bit about your pre-Tory career. Yeah. I was with Michael Kors before Tory. opened up I think majority of the California, Northern California, is when Michael Kors started to open lifestyle stores. I started in Palo Alto, which was actually lifestyle and collection, so runway. Mm -hmm. um, funny thing was, is that, again, I started selling runway to the local client. My boss came and told me that I was not selling what they wanted me to sell, and I said, I'm selling what needs to be sold in Palo Alto. And I said, you know, this is what it is. And we actually became an almost full collection door. Mm -hmm. I met one of my greatest clients, friends and mentors at Michael Kors, mm -hmm. and it kind of just carried me forward. I, f I realized I really loved that side of business. I was very much on the luxury side. Michael by Michael Kors was great, and it definitely filled a need in the industry, but it I, my passion was more on the runway yeah. side. Yeah. So I was there for a few years, and I was recruited by Tory Burch. Got it. And I want to give you a moment to share some of the successes that you've had. Because as I do, you know, when I joined an organization, I think about who do I want on my team? Where are the, you know, the successes and where are the gaps? And there was a store here in, in San Jose. I'm like, yes. I need Jill to come here <laughs> and solve this problem. And so tell us the story of Saint Laurent in Valley Fair Mall. Yeah. So, I mean, at the time I was on Beverly Hills, like mass two buildings, over 50 employees mm -hmm. uh, and Vogue dinners every other night. Amazing, amazing experience. I decided to move home to a team of six. Everyone told me I was committing career suicide by doing that. And, you know, at the time I said, well, you're like, but it's Ron. Yeah. I'm going to do this for Ron. <laughs> I follow him to Walmart. <laughs> so I just did it. There's some pain points in there where it's like, oh, gosh, you know, what did I just do? But when I took it over, nobody fully explained what the situation was. It was still a very young store. I think mm. it had been open maybe a year, maybe. Yeah. And um, when I was chatting with somebody on the executive team, he told me that it was the worst performing business in the company is the worst inventory performance in the company. And I'm like, well, 
this is my specialty. This is why Ron hired yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let's go. Yeah, so that's how I started at Saint Laurent. And I never go into businesses and just look at like, oh, what can I fix right away? You really have to get to know people. So I got to know the people and looked at opportunities and hiring and bringing in the right talent and the right product category, which was obviously right. very mixed. Right. So we right. had a little success there. Be more specific because I think it's yeah it says a lot about you. I was with Saint Laurent for just over three years, and for the three years running, we were the number one in the Americas, which included Canada and yeah. South America, and we held the top performance year over year over year, and improved even the inventory performance went from disaster to. Number one, actually, in yeah. inventory shrink performance. Yeah. And we did it on just about the same headcount. I think I maybe had added two people. So yeah. I remember you always asked for more. I did. I'm always going to ask. <laughs> Who doesn't, you know, great retail GM always ask for more payroll? That yeah. is you. For oh, it's sure. me. Well, yeah, anyone <laughs> in my life knows I'm always asking you for more. I, you always have more to give. When you're a leader in any type of business, but especially in retail, you truly have to have your toes over a cliff. If you're not slightly scared of what you're looking at and what you're about to do or what you're about to ask for, or if you aren't scared, they'll go, wow, this, you know, this is the worst performing business or this is a super underperformer and I have to somehow make them a top performer. If it doesn't scare you, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Mm. Like you really gotta, I think, chase after those things. Well, I remember hosting conference calls and speaking about top performance going green of course <laughs> valley fair very often and i remember giving you those awards and recognition for those top comp performances year over year over year i had and this email saved good <laughs> you know, and when you do it on your own numbers mm-hmm. it's even more special yeah i was beating myself at that yeah. point i was in i mean our team was definitely in our own lane and yeah. i think something to note too is i didn't have all the product It wasn't like I was back on Rodeo Drive where I had everything at my fingertips. I think that's a big thing too. A lot of people always say like, I don't have all the product. I don't have what I need. No, I figured it out. Like I got on planes. If I need to get on a plane and go get something, I made partner with the right partnerships, the right networking, collaborations. And even going into businesses within Saint Laurent, you know, Mm -hmm. help us understand and diagnose these pain points. And those are tough conversations to have. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to walk some people through those businesses and say, hey, we didn't set this up correctly. And like, we need to move fast. And I think that my reputation really helped me get things done because they knew that I knew what I was doing. And so different parts of the country, when I said, hey, the sizing's not right, beautiful product, but you're not going to sell any of it. Yeah. They move quickly to yeah. make some different things happen. Because they trusted you. They, yeah. they knew you would sell. If you asked for it, they knew you would sell it. Yeah. You know, and I think, too, I'm confident in what I'm good at. And there's a lot of things I'm not good at. And I'm the first one to say, like, don't give me visuals. I'm putting it all out. Somebody needs to manage that for me. But when it comes to things that I truly know, I love to lead. Yeah. So, yeah. So take us to today. So how long have you been with Tiffany? You know, as a senior director, tell us what you love about the brand. What sure. are you doing? Uh, I've been with Tiffany's for actually four years, and I was recruited by Tiffany's. I'm fashion, obviously, all the way. So I was a little hesitant in the beginning. I'm like, wow, jewelry? I don't know. I wasn't, I didn't fully understand. You know, I knew what Tiffany's was, obviously. Sure. I took over Palo Alto, which was already in the top 20 in the company. So it was already a well-performing business. had been there 21 years. Mm. And my boss at the time had opened that store. 
And so when I was interviewing with her, she told me that her top performance was the record-breaking performance, so the high-year watermark. And it was with her in 2000, which we all know what happened in Silicon Valley in 2000. I mean, it was an unstoppable force here. And so I said, so nice to meet you. Like, I'm going to beat you. And it was always a joke between the two of us that I was going to beat her highest year ever. I can see you saying, that's nice. Yeah. That's, that, uh, congratulations. That, yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. And that's <laughs> what I did. So I set out Tiffany's. There's just a big opportunity in this particular market. I mean, again, you're in Silicon Valley. And so I helped the people that wanted to stay and the people that didn't want to stay. I said, it's been great. Mm-hmm. You know, go for it. You should follow whatever your passion is. And we really took that business and more than doubled the volume that it had been sitting at. I looked at 10 year just running financials and it was flat. There's no increases. Mm. And last year I blew the record out of the water. Wow. We saw it midway through the year. My sales plan was in by July. Wow. And we do it really, you know, I love high jewelry. Tiffany's I think is now more known for the high jewelry and the high price points. We're talking about 100000 and up price points, mm-hmm. multi-million dollar sales, negotiating. I love it. It's fascinating wow. and exciting. And it's been such a thrill. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. It's never what I interviewed for. No one even spoke about it. I just saw it as an opportunity really within this market and develop the clients. And yeah. it's more about the relationship with the clients because everyone has money here. Everyone can spend money on whatever it is they want, whether it's $5 million diamond or a piece of art or home or Mm -hmm. traveling. I mean, it really is about the relationships. So I just focused on the relationships with all the CEOs that are in Silicon Valley. And there are many. (laughs) Yeah, there are. Just a few. Clearly. (laughs) Yeah. What, if you had any advice that you would give to general managers, store directors, store managers around the world about how you have delivered very consistently top performing businesses, what would be the top three things you would say to do? Well, I would say, ask yourself how high is high and don't look at whatever the plan is in front of you, right? Don't be stopped by, okay, once I achieve plan, then I can you know take my foot off the gas. It would be one thing. I would really say, truly understand the market from the consumer side and the talent side you need to hire the right team around you. And that really includes any assistants you have, Mm -hmm. um, team managers that you could possibly have. Everyone should have their own role. And I think it's very important that the people that are always around me, we don't share the same strength. I really try to look for people that have Mm -hmm. opposite strengths than I do. And you don't always have to be the leader you can really let people around you shine. And when you find the right people and give them an opportunity and a voice, it is amazing what can happen. I mean, people will run for it because a lot of people don't get invested in. And that's, I think it's a life thing. It's so different when someone feels invested in, like, wow, this person's really invested in me. I mean, you were so invested in me and mm. sat me down and shipped me off to Hong Kong and told me, don't look back. Mm. You're going there, let go. Uh, and I re- I fully remember that conversation. Yeah. Let go of what you can't control from across the world and go do the job that I need you to do. Do what you're good at. Yeah. yeah. And I did that. I've surrounded myself with people that allow me to also do that. So I have amazing leaders that are around me that say, hey, we've got this. Mm. Like, 
go close these deals or go focus on these clients, which has been really supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say don't be afraid to move. Don't be married to one idea in life. I think that holds people back. And, you know, this for me was an accidental career. This was not what I thought I would do. You know, I obviously said I want to be a criminal defense attorney. I don't know how many little girls like aspired to that. It's an odd. I know it sounds odd. But, you know, I had a moment where someone told me, he said, you're so good at this. Why are you trying to do something else? And I honestly didn't have an answer at that point. Mm. I said, I don't know, but I'm sitting in a political science class looking at Vogue, right? So, you know, obviously I had to really ask myself, is this what I really want? I'm terrified of it, but I'm good at it. So it was a leap of faith, Mm. you know? Yeah. So I would say those are probably just, don't be scared. Go for it. Really good ones. Yeah. Would you say the same thing about moving from say, contemporary world, Michael Kors, Tory Burch, you know, moving into luxury, you're at an entirely different scale of luxury. Yeah. Like, high jewelry is not comparable to anything else other than maybe real estate. Correct. How did you minimize those potential fears, if you had them, of like, how do I move into this part of the industry that you didn't begin in? So I recognize an opportunity, and it's like, well, I don't have this on my resume and what in my head you know even though i've been with saint laurent and i love fashion i've been with michael kors collections i was kind of used to those over that well over a thousand dollar price points but i didn't have that and i thought well to get to let's say chanel or to get to hermes i should probably have jewelry in general once i got in there and i saw price points that most people got scared of. And my old boss had said, there's people that will go towards the fire of high jewelry and there's people that want nothing to do with it. And you're mm. going to have both on your team. I'm a go to the fire person. And if you tell me I so can't do something. toes on the edge. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah if you yeah. tell me I can't do something or if so, you know, I have an employee that says, you know, I'm scared. The best and worst thing that someone can say to me is I'm scared because you already know I'm going straight for it. I'm pulling you into every opportunity. You should be scared. Um, I think going into that high jewelry arena, it's high stakes, high pressure. It is probably a one in 20 close. I mean, you're not closing high jewelry every day. And what I learned is you're learning to negotiate things. So I would say, yeah, you're negotiating multi-million dollar opportunities. And oftentimes you lose. I mean, it's a highly competitive niche market. So I would say if you're ambitious and curious, you should get into high jewelry for sure. Wow. It's exhilarating. Good advice. Yeah. So the first time I presenting Pink Diamonds, actually I was a few months new to Tiffany's. And I said, what do I need to know? It's kind of nice when I think as leaders, you get to be the student for once. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm often, I think I'm pulled in so many directions and you're always the go-to person, right? You go into leader mode, but it's nice to then be a student. And at Tiffany's, it's amazing because you have an army behind you. You have all the support and education. And so the first time I was going to present a, I think it was a $3 million pink diamond to a client, I was told I should wear navy. And I said, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Not many people tell me what to wear. I'm like, no, I'm in salt and around. I never Fuck. would. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was told what to wear, what to position what to ask, what do they collect? I mean, because you're really working with collectors. This is no, it's very often about collecting 
and acquiring and it's less about, oh, this looks so pretty on you. It's really not that. You start going into these much deeper conversations. And, you know, again, I think in really in high jewelry in general, you have to know what the purpose of the buy is. So it's a lot of work. I bet. Yeah. Homework in advance before you meet. Oh, you absolutely. You said you're watching videos of clients and you really learn anything about them in advance of the sale, which in yeah. fashion you don't. You don't you, have to. It's, it's a mood. It's an energy. It's, it's a vibe. This is a very different retail experience. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, most clients, but one in particular I can think of that I knew he was tough and I was going in to negotiate with him one night. And I spent, I don't know, two weeks really studying him, all of his, you know, CNBC, all of his interviews. I went on YouTube. I really wanted to understand the way he spoke, words he used, his tactics, because he was being interviewed about his business Mm. and how he maneuvered and spoke with people. So that when I went into the conversation and the negotiating, I mean, I had all the pressure. I had my CEO on my line. He's like, close a deal. And we're talking about an multi-million dollar deal and at that point I needed to know who the client was and I knew that talking to him about how pretty something was was not going to work and you know he's one of the biggest CEOs here and this is a seven o'clock at night negotiation and so Mm. I really had to have my homework done wow yeah wow impressive (laughs) your ability to impress me continues to to grow (laughs) I just can't I can't say enough good things about what you've done and what you are doing and what you will will do in the future i'm just really honored to know you and and call you a friend i mean you've been such a mentor to me and you know through the years i've even said like is this the right move am i doing the right thing and i think too when you have the right people around you the sky's the limit on things and when you have the wrong people around you i think you can realize that you can very quickly get stuck in life or say career right you can be very complacent say you know what my job is it's great like it's fun it's fine it's complacent you know i'm comfortable but life isn't about being comfortable like especially in career you truly don't know your greatness until you're surrounded by the best leaders that can take your hand and you know push you off a cliff (laughs) We'll put you on a plane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to the middle of nowhere. To, you know, a land we I had forgotten about the Hong Kong trip. Yeah. I had, but you're right. I mean, you would just say, sure, sure, Ron, whatever you need. Yeah. I'm, I'm here to, to solve it. Well, yeah. Hong Kong was actually really unique, too, because, you know, I worked for an American company. I'm across the world. I show, I sprained my ankle a few days before I left. I remember that. Yeah, I sprained it in a store opening, and I got on the plane in a boot. I got off, I put my heels on, and I said, oh, well, I'm about to see how this works. And I put my heels on, walking through the streets of Hong Kong. But I went to train, and we were training on, and I was by myself, so our head of talent couldn't make it. So I was truly training a team completely by myself in a completely different country. And truly, in that country, culturally, it was very different. So it was one point where I'm standing, I'm talking to this entire team that's brand new to Tory Burch, and everyone's staring at me, and I, I understood. I'm like, no one is listening to anything I'm saying about our culture and how great we are and how everyone's equal, and we're one big happy family. So I scratched the rest of the training. I got out just, you know, the big white poster boards, gave it to everybody, and I had everyone draw. They had to draw five things that were very important to them. Um, and I was mm. really shocked because there was dollar signs. There was brand names. 
A lot of it was material, which was fine, but I realized that what I was saying wasn't resonating. The and culture, emotional part of who we are as a startup wasn't resonating. Correct. Yeah. So I had to pause, and that's why I went back and I sent a long recap to Tori yeah. and you guys on that. And I said, we have to really look at when we're looking at different cultures and we're going into different countries, does it always resonate? You, we do have a DNA to a company, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you have to look at that with your teams, you know, especially to now we're so multicultural in businesses. I don't know how many leaders are sitting there and looking at saying, you know, I have 19 different languages. I think when we opened up on Rodeo Drive, we had 30 plus languages. At, at I think. least I remember doing that activity in the room. We had rented a big training ballroom at yeah. the Andaz to train all of these people. You and I did it together. And yeah, at least 30. Yeah. Like this incredible exercise about the diversity and how we were including anyone and everyone who we thought would be an important contributor to an experience, mm-hmm. a new experience. We wanted to create something new on Rodeo Drive that had never been done before. And you do that through people. Yeah. If I was fortunate enough, I had six months to recruit and hire. I mean, yeah. the amount of people I have sat and met and interviewed, which is, it's kind of funny in my personal life. I think everyone that knows me knows I ask, I will pepper you with a hundred questions. I think it's who I've become and I'm always interested to know more about people. Yeah. But yeah, when you get the opportunity, especially in leadership, getting out there and meeting people, even if you don't have an opportunity to hire, you yeah. need to know people. Yeah. It's the key to business. 100%. So you've always been someone that's highly self-motivated, but how do you do that? Like who inspires you? What's your your secret, I guess I should say? I get up at 5 a.m. to work <laughs> That out. is true. I remember that because as do I, and we would have like early morning text exchanges yeah. or, yeah. we Yeah. I'm like, I already know you're up. So yeah. like, let's talk. Yeah. So I'd say how I stay motivated truly is through discipline and curiosity. You know, I'm always wanting to learn something new Mm -hmm. and surrounding myself with people that inspire me to do something different, to grow more or people that can say, hey, this is a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. Like, don't do that. Don't make that jump. You know, hold back. I have a soundboard that I go to and there's a few people in my life. My brother's definitely one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, He's somebody that I go to when I'm questions or you know and he's been a leader of training for a massive tech company so he's a people leader Hmm. so i think i just try to surround myself with the right people and my go-to people and have the right support system and Hmm. when you need to take a break you take a break and then you especially it throughout my career is like am i making the right decision what are your thoughts and to celebrate things last year breaking all those records that i broke again i mean i don't really tell a lot of people this i mean the people that know know but i don't go around telling people that i break records like everywhere i go and so to be able to go back to my people and say i just did it i just did it again and you know i think that that's kind of where i get inspiration and to keep going and to keep doing what i'm doing yeah and it sets the bar really high for who you are but how you want to, I think, be perceived of like, yeah. don't underestimate what can happen in any small business, the huge business you lead today. I love what you said earlier of like, don't keep the bar low. Don't underestimate yeah. what you can do. Yeah. And that's like, you know, that's just life. And how do you think about balance then? Because anyone that's listening that has been in your role as a GM of a store this is not a 40 hour a week job. No. And 
you and I have been in those moments where it is easily six days, probably seven. So through your career, how have you, maybe it is discipline again, but how do you find balance? I'll tell you that this is an actually a hard area for me. Mm. It had been for a long time. There's definitely some leaders that have told me like, you're not good at this. You don't shut off. You don't create any boundaries to step away. And, you know, I think the higher we go, the more you're on. If it's not WhatsApp, it's my text messaging, it's Teams, it's all these things just pinging, pinging, pinging. So I think you have to, to be a better leader or to be in any relationship, right? You have to have that separation that people that are in your life know that you're fully there and present. It's like we would go to our conferences or we'd go to dinners, everyone's phones were in the middle. You have to disconnect because if you don't, you're always on. I mean, it's just, you're going to run yourself into the ground. And I, I hired the right people around me that just said, bye, get out, go. And so it's a conscious effort for me. I find balance in the gym. When I'm there, it's headphones on. And mm-hmm. I just try to really be quiet and kind of get in my own zone. And that's where I relieve stress and do a lot of my thinking and thought. And I try to get to bed you know, at 9 p.m. So I try to create these habits for myself. I've been doing it for years, but it's a conscious effort. You know, you have to take the time off. You can't just let things go and not spend time with family and significant others and such and think that it won't affect your relationships if you don't do that. Right. So it's really important. I think now I'm, I try to say, you know, if we can't get it done in 40 hours a week, we need to look at what we're doing. Because it's great to work 80 hours. It's fun. It can be those things like, oh my God, it worked for a minute. But yeah, you got to look at it like, am I doing it the most efficient way? And I think that that's something you have to stop and ask yourself. I mean, we had done some role playing actually, I think at a conference once where it's like, write down what you do in your day and now go through what only you can do. And it was like three things. It was like three (laughs) things only I could do. And I was like, wow, yeah. Right. Yeah. Learn how to delegate. Yeah. Learn how to find other people's strengths and develop their strength through delegation. Yeah. Take it off your plate. Give it away. Yeah. Let them fail. Yeah. It's okay. Yes. It's the right thing to do. Honestly, you have to go for failure. You have to. You have to know life is 50-50. You're going to win or you're not going to win. But I think it holds a lot of people back for not going for that next job, not going for that, you know, whatever it is you want, right? You, you start a new job like shit, this is hard. Right. Like, this is hard. Or, yeah. wow, I'm not going to make my bonus. Or, you know, you may not make that month, you know, or you may say, you know, I'm scared to take this leap in my personal life. You have to do it. That's where your greatest accomplishments have come from. If I had not moved to LA, you know, if I had said, no, I'm scared or no, you know, I'm happy here. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my thing here. Moving to LA was a scary thing for me. Mm-hmm. I left yeah. really everything. And there's a lot of pressure when you open a flagship. There was times I would come into your office and just say, oh, help like i don't know you know there's a there's, and i live down the street so yeah. it's even worse yeah they there all the time yeah <laughs> but you know there's a time where i said i don't get it do you just want me to be pretty store or pretty team or pretty face or do you want me to actually run a business and i remember someone has said both and i'm <laughs> humbled got it i got back in check <laughs> It was hard. It was, it was really hard. hard. But I think also what you're doing is setting an example for all the younger people coming into retail that yeah. may not have that perception of 
how they can develop their own skills or take those big risks or be on the edge. They're watching you do that and they're watching you do it within a reasonable amount of hours per week mm-hmm. in a very successful, highly motivated and engaged way. You're setting that example for everyone around you. You always have. You continue to do it today. Yeah, I think you have to raise your hand for everything. I think that your leaders should also raise your hand. I raise my hand for my team all the time and I would say, hey, by the way, I volunteered mm-hmm. you to go do this. And I don't give people an option, of course, if you really don't want to go, but I'm going to put you in the position to be seen and to be heard. And I'm also going to prep you to make sure you're ready for it. So, I mean, that's what you do as leaders. And that's why I would say with anyone that's in retail, stop and make sure that you're actually considering this as a career. This is not accidental. It, it always starts, I think, as accidental. Yeah. But it's really not. And I know like a lot of my friends will sing my praises and say, oh, my God, she's so successful in her field. And like, well, it's because I signed up to do that. Like, I really Mm. I was lucky. I truly am very fortunate to have had the leaders like you that I've had and to also sit and listen and be a student and lead when it's time to lead. But be a student was time to be a student. Yeah. Yeah. So as we wrap up, as I always do, let's talk about the three pillars. Yes. You are in Retail Pride, as I mentioned when we began, and how do those impact you? As I've listened, I kind of get this sense of you know, they're quite fluid mm-hmm. because you are highly empathetic when you need yeah. to be. I remember some times that were not always easy, and I remember you know you had a, an LP incident in Valley Fair that was mm-hmm. really horrible, and yeah. there were a lot of times where I've seen you be highly empathetic. You're one of the most curious people I know. You said you're a student <laughs> of the industry. You're so focused. So I don't even know what to say, but what, where do you lean? Or maybe it's different every day. I have to say, I think in an overall sense, it's curiosity mm-hmm. um, because you can't teach that. Someone can come in and you can teach someone how to be more empathetic and s- try to bring more self-awareness to people, right? And that part is great, but you can't teach people to be curious about being better or curious about other people. Mm. I mean, people either want to know or they don't. And so even when I interview people, I'm, I sit down with everybody. And a lot of people are like, why do you sit down first? I'm like, no, I sit down with everybody. And I'm, I, cause I'm curious. And if I can find people that are equally as curious and say, I'd rather hire someone with no experience that's curious and excited than somebody that says like, oh, I, it's okay, I got it. I know everything. Right, I've already thought, done that. Yeah. yeah. Like, okay, that's nice. Goodbye. Because again, you're not willing to change, right? And that's, right. I think, the goal in our career and in life, you have to be willing to change. And so that's, I think, the key to what I look for in people mm-hmm. is that they're open and curious really to learn more. Yeah. And it leads then to your ability to give them more. Because you've learned maybe what those spaces are. By being curious, I've learned this about you. And therefore, I can find those opportunities. Like you said, I signed you up for this because I heard you on our first touch base that you wanted to try this. So guess what? Yeah. Here you go. Yeah. I think, too, like when people say, like, oh, I want to know more about this. That's awesome. Like, who doesn't want somebody... I mean, maybe people don't want to be asked 100 questions. I get it. (laughs) But how nice is it when people are curious about you? And and clients understand that. When you start saying, like, tell me more about that. Like, what do you do? Where do you go? At Tiffany's, I'm always like, what's the key to marriage? You know, when I'm having people that are 30, 50 years. And 
and honestly, it's it's the same thing. Everyone's like, oh, you just have to be curious and you have to be best friends, like marry your best friend. So you bring that all the way back, right? And you really try to be best friends with your clients, you know, special clients. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. And that just starts with curiosity. Wow. I have somebody that works with me now and he's incredible. He's top in the company. And because he's so curious, I mean, he will just talk your ear off until you stop him. But he's so curious about people and mm. he's invested and he's so excited for your life. And I think that that's, you know, it's kind of the key to relationships. People want to feel invested in. Yeah. Yeah. I bet he's very memorable. Oh, when someone yes. leaves the store, they remember exactly who he is and and that he's the guy from Tiffany's. He's quite famous within Tiffany's. You <laughs> you can't be in his presence and not know he's there. Wow. Yeah. He's wow. but he's amazing skill. at it. Yeah. But it's something I couldn't have taught him. It's who he is. Yeah. Yeah. So amazing. I think that that's that's key. Amazing. This was so much fun. I know. I'm so glad we got to see each other. Me too. Um, I wanted to make sure on this journey across the country that this was one of the places I stopped because Aww. I wanted to see you Thank and you. catch up and and make sure that your story was told. You were on the list of like potential guests before there was even guest number one. I Aww. wanted to, I wanted it to be you because you're incredibly inspiring and successful and oh, so you. glad to um, have you as as a friend. Thank today. me too. Yeah. Thank, I'm I'm so proud of you and what Thank you've you. done and I think you're so inspiring in everything you've done. You're the perfect example of risking it all. I mean, you took this show on the road when most people wouldn't, you yeah. know? Most people just say like, oh, I'm scared. Or maybe people don't think to write a book or to write things down or to ask those questions and involve people. So yeah. it's great to be involved and to be spoken to and like kind of reminisce about our stories. And it's not often I sit and tell people like, oh, by the way, this is what I've done. Because we don't, that's not how we talk. It We're isn't. Not gonna, like, it isn't. You know. But maybe we should. I think we should. Yeah. We should more often. Like really celebrate people. Right. And then, you know, I got dressed knowing that I was seeing you. So <laughs> everyone, I'm in leather shorts and you are knee-high the, the, suede Prada boots. The, the, by far the the best dressed person on the RV park. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jill. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jill, for being on the show today. It was really great to catch up. And thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to my producer, Roy Pettitz, and to Dean Albeck, the audio engineer for Retail in America. Subscribe at retailpride.com or follow me on Instagram at retailpride to see all the details about the Retail in America tour. And with that, Keep your retail pride strong and I will see you on the road.